Well, good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Wow. Uh, we're not going to let a little snow affect our day, right? Um, I'm back in northwest, or I'm back up this far north now, right? Um, yeah, this might have affected uh, a little bit southwest Indiana. You're starting to get down toward Kentucky, and a little snow causes a lot of commotion or a lot of consternation, but man, we're hardened veterans of this, aren't we? No, no thing. Ain't no thing until what? Six inches or in? <clears throat> um, I know uh, kids are hoping for a snow day tomorrow, though. Yeah. I know in my house, they already are hoping for a snow day. So, And the teachers probably, yeah, right? But, um, <clears throat> you know, the website Static Brain has tracked uh, for the last couple decades, a little bit more than that, the most or They've tracked every year the must-have Christmas gifts of that year. Um, So, like, they started tracking this in the 80s. 1983, the must-have gift, some of you remember this, some of you bought this, right, was the Cabbage Patch doll. Remember the whole Cabbage Patch doll phenomenon? 1983, that was the must-have gift. 1985 was um, the Pound Puppies. I don't know where I was, but I totally missed that. Or my parents just made sure I didn't know about that or something, because I would have been six at the time. But, um, you know, uh, 1995 was the Beanie Baby craze. How many of you still have Beanie Babies somewhere in your attic or something, right? 1995, followed by, and I remember this one, but I was 17 at the time, so I didn't get this, but 1996 was the tickle, Tickle Me Elmo frenzy. Guys, remember that? I do remember that. I didn't have any kids, though, but that was such a big deal that I remember it, like in stores and stuff like that. 2002 was the iPod. Um, isn't that amazing? It's been that long. Seems like, um, wow. A Wii, 2006. The must-have gift of 2006 was the Wii. Um, 2010 was the Kindle. Man, it seems like we are getting, it's just time's flying, isn't it? It seems like, Kindles just came out the other day. That's been like six years ago that Kindle came out. I remember, I think I got one for Nicole that year. Maybe, no, I got her a Nook. Remember Barnes and Noble had the Nook? Yeah, I got her that. 2011 was an Angry Birds board game. Don't remember that one. Must have of 11. Uh, Doc McStuffins doll was in 13. Last year, the Frozen Sing Along Elsa doll. How many of those are in your homes right now? Must have gifts of, of uh, every year. You know, gifts used to be pretty simple, especially if you had one of these must have. The only problem with that is if you got to the store in time or you got it, you weren't sold out. But gifts used to be, used to be really simple. You wanted something uh, really bad, you conveyed that, you got it, or, or even gifts used to be simple, it was like you open it up from grandma and it was what it was, right? That was your gift until things started to get complex with the idea of the gift return, right? The gift exchange. I mean, this has really changed the whole dynamic of gift giving. Uh, if you don't believe this is a big deal, then you just need to head out to the stores on about January the 27th or the 28th 
Man, it is nuts. You go to Kohl's or wherever you shop, I guarantee you, they've got a couple lanes dedicated to gift returns. Um, And it's changed everything, right? Now when you open a gift, there's in the back of your mind this idea, I can just take this back and get what I really want. Right? It's kind of changed. It's, it's brought in this idea of choice for us, right? This idea of I've got options. I've got opportunities. Now, it can get a little tricky, um, honestly, you know, especially with like your in-laws um, because they're like, hey, I, I haven't seen that sweater I bought you. I haven't seen you wear that yet. And you're like, uh, <laughs> yeah, that sweater is now that. <laughs> so it gets a little tricky. Are you guys awake this morning? I'm just not very funny this morning, I guess. I'm never really that funny, but I get that. But yeah, you, you, have you ever had that? Like somebody's bought you a gift and you took it back because it wasn't really what you wanted and then they ask you about the gift? Um, oops, uh, especially when it's your mother-in-law. So um, maybe she won't watch this Sunday uh, online. She'll have no, have no idea that I really didn't keep the sweater she bought me. So um, <clears throat> You know, I think all of us have had this. In fact, take a moment and share with somebody next to you your best gift return experience. The gift you took back, the, the best, the one that you got and you knew the minute you, were, you opened it, you were taking that baby back. Share with your neighbor what that experience was. Some of you, you knew exactly what to say when you turned to your neighbor. I mean, it came right to your mind. It was, it was that gift. Um, but you know, this, this, uh, this season we're unwrapping the gift that is Jesus in this series. Um, and we're not as focused in as much about the what, where, when, how. Right? We haven't really talked about shepherds and wise men and Mary and Joseph and, um, uh, you know, angels. Uh, We'll take time to do that. But we're looking more this series at the who. Uh, That's what John did. John didn't even bother himself with those details. If you were just reading John's gospel without the others, without Matthew and Luke, uh, you would be introduced to Jesus in a different way, in a who type way. Who is this man? Who is this God? And that's what we're kind of looking at with John. If, if Matthew and Luke put on the, the muscle and the skeletons of flesh, John gives us the bones, the skeleton of the story of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, what Christmas is about. And we've noticed John, as we've started into his book, we've noticed some things about what he's trying to relay to us as he kind of tells, introduces Jesus in this way. And it's spiritual principles that that have kind of, that I've fleshed out through there that, you know, Christmas unwrapped is this reality that God always comes through. The Christmas story is a principle about God that God always comes through. Uh, He he planned this. Um, There was nothing gonna stop that. 
Um, and he had, he had made a promise, a covenant, to provide an opportunity for mankind to be saved. And he had an unfailing love. God always comes through. And that baby lying in a manger, it should tell us that God is so faithful. He always comes through. He's a faithful God. Uh, John also kind of, as he tells the story a little bit, reminds us that God always knows what we need. In a world last week that we noticed that didn't notice him and his own people that didn't want him, he still came. Most of the time, we would kind of avoid that situation, right? Where you're not noticed, where you're not needed, especially if you're the creator of the world. Uh, I would imagine that would be a, uh, a, 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 what we would say a difficult thing to swallow. But for him, it didn't even phase him one bit. He knew what we needed, and he was coming anyway. Um, and so God is a God who always knows what we need. And these are things that aren't just, they, they're represented in Christmas, but they are the realities of the character and the nature of our God. And Christmas reminds us God always comes through. God always knows what we need. And so I just want to keep unwrapping what John's trying to reveal to us. And um, this, in this week, I just want to look at two verses, really. It's the next two verses. Um, and I think really, though, that John is starting to move into the core, the center of what this story is about. So if, if verses 10 and 11 said the world uh, didn't notice him, his own people didn't want him, John then shifts gears in this way when he says this, yet to all who did receive him, and that word yet, some translations have but, but to all who received him, or yet to all who received him. And the, the word of God, which is inspired by the spirit of God, right? Working on the hearts of men, that's what the, the scriptures tell us. So carefully, the language, the way it's written is so intentional. And he is, he is switching gears powerfully here with this little three-letter word. It's like this powerful fulcrum that makes a dramatic shift from the previous unbelief, unnoticed, unwanted condition of our world. John wants to shift us to something that we absolutely have to clue into. Yet or but to all who did receive him. To those who believed in his name. To all, to those and the way the language is, is he's been using words of, of grouping, of world, of, um, of people, of nation. It's group things. He switches gears and this to those, to all, carries with it a very individual idea. John is saying, listen, it didn't matter if the world didn't notice him and it didn't matter if a nation totally rejected him. This is truly about something bigger than a world wanting him or a nation wanting him. This has always been an individual story. Christmas is at a individual level. And to those, who cares if I'm a part of a world that doesn't notice? You as an individual have a chance to respond differently. 
Who cares if you were part of the nation who didn't want him? It wasn't what you were looking for. It wasn't what you were expecting. Who cares if everywhere around you that was what was happening? You personally had an opportunity to respond to this incarnation of Jesus in a different way. And he says, but to all those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right, or that word is privilege, authority, possibility. He gave the right to become children of God. Now, I want to kind of work backwards with this verse a little bit. I want to look at the second part of before we look at the first. Because I'm telling you, this is what the heart of what he is trying to talk about is. I mean, um, and he says it in this way. He gave. See those words, he gave? That word give carries with it this idea of, um, of unmerited, undeserved favor or gift from God. The way, that the, the way that the construct of the language is, is he is really trying to intentionally help us to see that God himself gave to us. And he gave it in a way that wasn't merited or it wasn't deserved. It was in no way a contract type language. If you do this, then I will give you this. It's not paycheck. You work this amount of hours at this amount uh, per hour and I will give you this. There is no deserved thing here. There is no compensation type deal. The language of this is someone who gifts something to someone. Not because they earned it or they deserve it, but he gives it. And I think John helps us to tap in here. He gave, a God who gives. He's gonna use this language a little bit later in chapter three. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his one and only son. And this at the, is at the essence, if you wanna think about Christmas in one word, it's this word. Christmas represents grace, grace. God's gracious favor and action toward us. He gave, he gave. And he's trying to help us to understand that, that what is going on, what Christmas is about is something that was totally outside of our ability to create or to make happen or to merit or to, it was completely out of our realm. We didn't do, collectively, we couldn't have done enough good things. We couldn't have made this place a, a better and better place till finally God decided, you know what? Man, they're doing some good stuff down there. They're starting to get it together. I think I'm gonna do something about that. No, nothing. It was completely out of our arena. It was completely motivated, inspired, and directed by God himself. He gave. Christmas is grace, the gracious action of God toward helpless, needy, lost people. He gave. He said he gave them the right to become. And it's in this word become that we begin to tap into what he's trying to tell us. 
To become is a create word. It's a take something out of nothing and make something word. It's a this is this and now I'm going to make it this. And what John is trying to reveal to us that Christmas is about a God who moved toward us to do something to create something out of nothing. Something out of nothing. And he says that something out of nothing is this phenomenon that we become, we are created to become the children of God. You see, verse 13 would continue this way. We become this not because of our natural descent, not because of where you're from, who your parents are, or even the faith of your parents. Not because of any of that. What he's gonna do, what he's gonna create to become, to create us to become the children. Not because of anything like that. Not of a human decision or a husband's will. Or what he's, what he's saying there is there's nothing that we did to engineer what he's going to create. We don't have any role in this. He said none of that but born of God. And that is the key phrase. But born of God. I have come to create this new thing, this children of God thing, and it happens when they are born of God. You see, I would say it this way. Christmas or here's how, here's how I said it. Christmas is about a birth that gives us a gracious opportunity for many births. That's the point here. John is quickly moving to unwrap the bones of this story is that, you know what? <clears throat> God came through, God knew what we needed, and the reason he did all that was to accomplish this purpose so that you and I might experience a birth. His birth equals our birth. If you were to keep reading in John, you would come to this very clearly in John chapter three. You remember Nicodemus, this teacher of the law, came to Jesus and said, um, how, how can I enter the kingdom of heaven? How can I be connected to God? How can I get all of this right? And what is, what is it Jesus said? You must be born again or born from above. And that's what Christmas Unwrapped truly is about. It's about a gracious God doing something that was outside of anything we could do coming into our world to accomplish this purpose so that lost, broken, empty, helpless humanity might experience something outside of ourselves. And that is what we call the new birth, being born of And John says, this is why he came. This is Christmas unwrapped. 
His birth was to lead toward your birth. Ephesians chapter two would say it this way. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. (laughs) So let's go back to the beginning of that verse. So he's wanting us to be born of God, to be his children, to, be, to have this new creation type thing, something outside of ourselves come into our lives. How does that happen? And this is what he says as he began that verse. But to all who received him, to those who believed in his And he gives us this mechanism, this reality for this to happen. He says it's by us receiving him or believing in him. It's kind of equal statements. To receive is to believe. To believe is to receive. But I would tell you that the key phrase in that whole thing is to believe in his And what John here is revealing to us, what is trying to be communicated, why it's said, he didn't say believe Christ, it's believe in his name, is because he is trying to take us to exactly how this being born again is actuated in our life. To believe in his name is a deep statement that says not only do I, yeah, I believe what he's about, but I am going to take on what he is about. My belief goes beyond just knowing about him. To believe in his name is to say, you know what? I I get who he is, and because of who he is, man, my whole life is resting on him. It's like, you know, um, I run commentary, one really smart dude talked about uh, this. uh, Therefore, it's not merely believed what he said, but trusted in him or put my confidence in him, or as other languages would use it this way, I have hung on to him with all of my heart, or I have leaned my complete weight upon him. John's gonna continue to do this uh, kind of idea throughout this gospel and then in the epistles he wrote, first, second, third John, right? He uses this word no all the time, all the time. It's one of his favorite words. He, he loves to talk about us knowing God. And when he talks about that, he's never thinking like know about God. Amen. In fact, it's the same word, know, that is used in the Old Testament scriptures when we read things like, and Adam knew Eve. Right? 
That's biblical language for Adam and Eve <laughs> had sex. I almost just threw a phrase out there. I probably, you know. That kind of knowledge, that knowing one another intimately, it's relationship type language. It's not to know about, it's to know that person. And he says to believe in his name. Those are the people, to those who received him, those who believed in his name, that they, they literally moved into relationship with him. They became born of God. You see, it kind of blows up this kind of thinking that if I go to a church that believes the right things and I just believe what my church believes, I'm okay. It kind of blows up this thinking that, you know what, if I'll say a prayer somewhere and I just say that prayer and I, I you know, I'm okay. That kind of is nowhere close to this. This is relationship. It's about as absurd as me standing with Nicole at the altar and say, I do, I give my life to you. I, you know, and then for us to walk out the aisle and me to look at her and say, we'll see you later and have no relationship with her. Are we really married? No. Oh, there's a paper that says we are. But are we really married? That's what I get within like marriage counseling. Like what is the essence of marriage? It's the blending of souls. It's a connection of souls. That's what this is. It's relationship. This is beyond just saying, you know, I, I said a prayer sometime in my life, so I must know him. No. To believe in his name is to believe with a faith that embraces all that he is, all that he asks of us all that he wants from us. It's relationship type knowledge. Um, like Hebrews chapter 11, verse six. Hebrews talks about faith a lot, right? And without faith, it is impossible to please God. So just like faith is an important thing, right? Absolutely. Having faith, believe, absolutely. But what does that faith look like? What is the nature of biblical faith? Well, it's this. Anyone who comes to him must, first of all, believe that he exists. And then he rewards those who diligently seek him. The nature of biblical faith, this is my working definition for faith what the scriptures, I believe, teach over and over about faith. What does it mean to believe in him? It's this. One, I believe what God says, right? I must believe that he exists. I believe what he says, everything he says is true. That is the beginning of faith, absolutely. You and I make a mental consent, say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the savior of the world. Yes, I believe that his word is true. Yes, I believe that his will and his ways are best. Yes, yes, yes. I mentally, but it goes beyond that. It commits to do what God asks. That's what biblical faith is. It's like Noah. 
Why did Noah have faith? Because he believed God was going to send a flood? Well, yeah. But I guess he could have just sat there for the next 120 years and drowned like everybody else. Noah believed because why? He committed to do what God asks. He built an ark. Same with Abraham, Moses. By faith, there is a response to what God says. And then obviously, there is the trust in and rest on what God has promised. Have I lost you today? I feel like I've lost you, and that's my fault. I'm sorry if I have. Trust in and rest on what God's promised. This is faith. It goes beyond mental assent. That's the start. It goes to what is my response. It's like James says, right? You show me your faith, I'll show you my faith that works, that produces action, that produces a lifestyle of loving and serving and following and being in relationship with God. That's what he's saying here, to believe in his name. Christmas is truly about a gracious God who gave us something we didn't deserve, couldn't earn. We didn't even ask for, I don't think. I think we were longing for something, right? Didn't even know what to ask for hardly. It's about God, God's initiative And his initiative is to, hey, like Ephesians said, those people down there, they're they're walking dead people. They're living physically, but they are spiritually, they're dead. There's nothing going on. They're not connected to me. They're just breathing and eating and sleeping and day after day after day, they are totally missing why I created them. They're walking dead people. I I want to do something about that. I love them. And so I'm going to move into their world for one purpose, to give them the opportunity to be born anew, to receive a life that's outside of themselves that comes into them. And in that, my spirit in them, we now are connected together. And they become my children, born of God. John's trying to unwrap Christmas this way for us. This is the bones of the story. It's kind of like, like this. You guys remember this part of It's a Wonderful Life? Probably most of you have seen this movie, right? Um, I would think so. Coming down to the end when uh, Annie realizes that he just wants a second chance on life, right? Just give me a second chance if you'll just let me go back, because he thinks he's done, he thinks, right? Remember this scene right here? Clarence! Clarence! Help me, Clarence! Get me back! Get me back! I don't care what happens to me! Get me back to my wife and kids! Help me, Clarence, please! Please! I want to live again! I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. (laughs) 
Hey, George! George! You all right? Hey, what's the matter? Now, get out of here, Bert, or I'll hit you again. Get out of here. What the Sam Hill are you yelling for, George? You... George. Bert, do you know me? Know you? <laughs> you kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there, and I thought maybe you... Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... <laughs> My mouth's bleeding, Bert! My mouth's bleeding! Zuzu's pedals. Zuzu. There they are! Bert! What do you know about that? Merry Christmas! Well, Merry Christmas. Merry! Merry! Yay! Yay! Hello, Bedford Falls! Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! I just want to live again, right? His prayer there. And then the realization of his new lease on life, so to speak, right? The new, I would tell you in a much greater sense that the cry, our cry, is we want to live again, right? And that's what God is all about. That's what Christmas is all about. I want to live again. And that's what he's saying. That's what I want for you. I want you to live anew this life of being born from me, my Holy Spirit in you. Now, what happens when that happens is kind of a little bit, joy, it's joyful like what he experienced. It's hard to explain. I can't explain it to you. Jesus didn't even try to explain it, did he? said, well, Nicodemus like, well, how does that happen? And Jesus said, well, you know, the wind blows from where it comes from. And, and Jesus didn't really try to explain all of, it's a supernatural phenomenon. It's the miracle of grace. It's what happens when an open, believing heart who sees who Jesus is, recognizes their lost state, and says, you know what? I know that you're the one who is the answer. Would you come into my life? I want to now live a life walking, relating with you. And as that happens, <laughs> he comes in and we are born from above. The scriptures are full, full of this. This is the promise of the Father. This is the big deal promise of scripture that you and I would be born again. He was born so that you and I might be born. It's a birth not of where you came from or who you know or who you are. It's not a birth of uh, where you go to church or even the right things you believe. Scripture says that the demons have really good theology. The, the demons know 
It doesn't make you. This is truly about you and I having a living relationship with Jesus Christ, born of his spirit. You know, as I worked through this part of the scripture, as I thought about this whole season, I thought, you know what, Chip, it would be a shame as you speak week after week on this. If you didn't just pause at the end of this time, and if you wouldn't just make sure that people that are listening to what you're saying and what the word's saying, you wouldn't just be make sure that maybe you're talking to someone today who you, you know the right stuff, you're here, but yet maybe you would say, you know, I, I don't know what it is to be born again, born from above. Maybe you thought it was believing the right things. Maybe you thought it was following a moral code. And yet we see so clearly in Scripture, none of that will ever suffice, connect us to God. It truly is about a spiritual experience, an event that turns into a spiritual relationship where you and I are born from above, born of His Holy Spirit. Sometimes people are freaked out by that and think maybe I'm talking about an emotional experience. You know, sometimes it is very emotional for people. Sometimes it's not. Each of us are different. But you know what? I would feel like I have totally failed my Lord. If during this season, and we talk about this, to as many as received him, to as many as believed in his name, to those he gave the, the possibility, the power, the authority, the right to become his children, to not simply stop and say, you know what? Maybe there's someone here who's not experienced that. And just as George prayed, Maybe deep in your heart you are crying, I, I just need new life. Well, that's exactly what Christmas was about. He was born so that you might be born. Not of the flesh, but of the never dying eternal soul that you have. He wants to come and make that alive. And so I'm just asking you right now if you would just bow your heads with me. And I'm inviting you, if you've not experienced that and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now and you can sense his presence, I would just simply invite you to just turn your life over to him. Invite him in. You know he's the savior that forgives all sins. He's the one who wants to Establish a relationship, a living relationship with you. It's very simple, it's faith, but it's a faith that places yourself completely on him and realizes, I need a relationship with Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Our Father, 
Lord, we're so grateful the words of Scripture speak to us. And as you speak, we begin to see more and more. And as John unwraps this story, we come right to the heart of the story. When he says, but yet there are those who received him. That's why he came. Was to those who would believe in his name. Might be born of God. Might become his children. And Lord, that is not something that's of a physical nature. It's not something we can do. But because of your grace, you extend to us the opportunity to open our hearts to you and to invite you into our lives through the power of your Holy Spirit to establish a relationship with you. And Lord, I might be speaking to someone who, as they stand before you and as the Holy Spirit speaking to them, they don't have a relationship with you. They know about you, but they don't know you. And Lord, this is the season that this is all of, this is what this is all about. You made it possible by coming into our world that, that silent night, that holy night. So Lord, right now, I would pray that if someone doesn't know you right now, they would begin to open their hearts to you in this moment. They might not know the words to say, that's okay. You're the one who knows the intents and thoughts of our heart. Lord, would you just help them to begin to open their heart and life to you and to experience this new birth in Jesus Christ. Hard to explain, but you know when it happens. It's when your spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are your children. And Lord, I would pray that for each and every one of us in this season especially. Thank you, Lord, for this gift. Thank you for the reality that we can live now because you came. This is our hope. Lord, I've lived life without you. And it just got me into, I was not, I was not realizing what this life was about. And I was becoming more and more increasingly lonely and broken and empty, discontent, so many things. But when you came, you reoriented my life. You gave me a new life. That's what you do with us. And Father, you're the hope. And so today, Father, if someone's here that doesn't know you, bring them to you today. We all thank you and praise you for this new life in Christ. We pray these things, Father, in the name of Jesus, our strong and mighty Savior. Amen. I would tell you, if someone's here that didn't understand what I was talking about or still has questions or maybe you prayed and you just want to what is this? I want to know more. I would tell you my door is always open for you. I'd love to talk to you about that. Pastor Ken would love to talk to you. Ben, any of our staff, if you have any more questions about what we've talked about today, please come and see us. we be glad to talk to you. Have a great day and have a safe trip home.